Welcome to the latest episode of What Would You Do If? Today, we're going to talk about what would you do if your client came to you and said that ABM is the latest marketing fad. So, I've got with me today Matthew Smith, CEO of BDB. Hello, hello. And obviously myself, uh, Business Development Director for BDB. And um, this is a really, really poignant subject at the moment where um, we come across ABM a lot. However, it does make me and Matt laugh a little bit because ABM is nothing new. Yeah. Um, is it, Matt? No, no, not in, not in my opinion. I mean, I guess it, I guess for the uh, for the listeners, is it worth recapping what ABM is? I think so. Um, so ABM is one of the latest marketing marketing acronyms uh, for account based marketing, and basically, I guess the, the high level summary of what ABM is is replacing kind of the mass marketing techniques we've seen in the past, where you would be an analogy that's used quite often is replacing kind of the, the fishing net with a spear. So rather than casting the net wide. Um, hoping you um, catch some fish and hopefully that they are of relevance to the, the kind of target audience you um, you want to ultimately be working with. Um, replacing that with a spear, so kind of flipping the funnel as it would be. So rather than um, starting off with the mass marketing and hoping, hoping something sticks, what you're actually saying is who, identifying at the first stage who you actually want to work with, the type of company you want to work with, even down to the level of the individual you want to work with and want to sell to, and shaping, shaping your marketing tactics and strategy um, tailored towards those individual target audiences. So. For me, and this is what does make me and you laugh quite often, that, that's common sense, I would call it. And I'd say that's certainly just a more of a laser targeted or a focused sales approach. I think we're seeing a lot more of it with our clients as sales and marketing alignments becoming more of a, 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 thing. a topic of relevance. Um, well, but do you think that, for me, I think it's because technology now enables us to research yeah. better. Yeah. The data that is available to us is a lot more robust and clear. Yep. However, one of the biggest things that I wanted to talk about today, where ABM is concerned, and, and and I know for a fact that other businesses that we've spoke to about it yep. is data plays such a big part in yep. in ABM. I think there's, there's there's two or three driving factors to it for me. The use of data and technology is certainly one of them. Technology is making it much easier for. Um, people to work out who they, want to, who they want to sell to and how they're going to sell to those individuals and kind of take it through targeted flows of information and so on. I think the, the other side of that is we're seeing um, marketing budgets becoming under more pressure. People want to see more return on investment from their activity they're doing. And I also think from a from kind of the mass marketing perspective, it's very difficult to justify your ROI at times, so in terms of your return on your investment that you're making. So how do you know what content's working well? How do you know what content content's resonating? And Arguably, you could argue it's luck rather than skill that anybody ends up at the bottom end of your funnel from the kind of the mass marketing approach. But can you actually pinpoint what piece of content it was that worked for them, what attracted them into the funnel in the first place? Whereas ABM argues it's more of like a zero waste marketing. So in the sense of everything you do is tailored towards selling to that individual. So you know exactly what's working, what's resonating with those target audiences. And I think for me, having a greater justification and articulation behind that bang for your buck on your marketing spend, coupled with the technology that these days to, to enable you to to um, to drive that data, analyze that data, and kind of progressively profile with people that you ultimately want to sell to as well. Mm. Um, so you can work out what works, what doesn't work, and so on. But again, I think where let's let's just take it back a step a, a little bit. I think that if you have not got your sales process. Mm -hmm. 
your buying experience, I'll call it, because people, people don't like the word sales. <laughs> so if you've not got your buying experience right, arguably your ABM is not going to work anyway. And I think that's where a lot of companies fall, fall down sometimes is they'll go into a, what they would class as an ABM campaign and they, they think it is, it's more targeted. Well, it's, but, still, it's still not a quick fix. That's what no. I'd say. It's in the sense of having your, I will say sales, but having your sales process matched against that buyer's journey. I think we've covered that in another podcast previously. Yeah. We certainly covered it at the talk we did at Vita Foods. But but that's critical. So there's no, you, you can't flip the funnel, identify the target you want to sell to, send them one digital ad and expect that to be campaign. But people but, do though, don't they? Yeah, but I think that's where a lot of the campaigns fall over. And then people, we, had, we had a talk when we were at Vita Foods from someone said, even on our website, yeah. do you want to buy? Yeah. Uh, uh, no. No, no, thank you. I don't know who you are. I've no idea what products you even sold at that point, I don't think, or what value you added. So no, that was an instant no, and that classic example of somebody trying to close long, long, long before I was ready to purchase. Um, but I think a lot of people are, uh, now are arguing that ABM's failing or ABM isn't working, but when you look at it, it's either because they've got really low-value bait piece content that they're using to entice people in, or they're hoping for that one pull of the trigger and then... Oh, they don't want to buy from me, so it didn't no, work. They, they, not like that. No, but they see it as a get-rich-quick scheme, and, and, and yeah. ABM's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's really laser-focusing on that is the client that you want to win. Mm-hmm. It might take you a month. It might take you yeah. 14 months to, to win that client, or at least get in front of that client. And yeah. um, it can't be, oh, we want to get in front of that client by this time. It's like, well, it'll take as long as it takes. You've got to have that sustained, consistent level of activity. And yeah. I think that comes back to other things you know, we've discussed previously, but in terms of that omni-channel, consistent, authentic experience. So one, well, say one pull of the trigger, one piece of content, one journey, one flow isn't, isn't, isn't going to do this. You know, you've got to learn and progressively profile and maybe through test and learn campaigns. It could be through various different methods of what makes these people tick, what makes these individuals, and with, with ABM, obviously you can have one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many, in terms of the three different kind of tiers of, of, of the strategic ABM application. But the more personalized and the more focused you can make that journey, you know, so I, do I want to sell to Chris Grimes, or do I want to sell to BDB, or am I trying to sell to marketing consultancy businesses across Europe? They're, they're three different models, three different approaches, three different content pieces, but the more tailored and laser focused I can make it to you, the more relevant and the more it should resonate with you. Yeah, I agree. I think also where people, and I know we covered it in, in the Vita Foods talk as well, is the tech stack's so important mm-hmm. to how that ABM plays out. And I, do, I also want to, and we'll come back to tech stack later on, but I also wanted to cover the GDPR, yeah. really. Yeah. Because I had a call the other day with um, a, a company who were trying to sell us a piece of, of software, a very good piece of software, as I might add. Yep. Um, and he, he said that GDPR only comes into play if you are not... Um, I could email you about a exhibition mm-hmm. that I know you have genuine interest in, even though, and if I've got your work email address, it's fine. Yep. If I have your personal email address, it's not fine. Absolutely. If I then email you about Forex, yeah. knowing it's full well, you know, that's G- then you're not GDPR compliant. Yeah, you can form the argument around legitimate interest, but you've also got to give the people the ability to opt out on the first point of contact because um, I think a lot of people don't want to be bombarded these days, but, no. I, don't, but I don't think in terms of an ABM, cam- ABM campaign, um, email shouldn't form part of that necessarily. No. It's, you know, again, the more tailored, the more personalized you can make it. So you know, a really well-tailored, well-structured DM for a one-to-one ABM campaign. Yeah. Direct mail for people like that. Yeah, might be absolutely perfect, as, a, as opposed to, 
as you say, banging out mass market email campaigns, but that does come down to what tier of ABM you're looking to apply it to. Why do you think people have stopped direct mail? Because I, I know we've we've started to integrate it into our business and yeah. to great success. And we've I think uh, we have, but I think it depends on when you say direct mail. We're not talking about sending somebody a leaflet or no. a brochure or a pamphlet here. We're talking about sending somebody something that would really, really resonate with them. Mm. So it might be a really tailored video piece. It could be a video card. It could be a something that you know resonates with their personal Like a really nice sample of something. Could be anything, yeah, it clients. could be a really nice sample. We were discussing the day for one of our, one of our new prospects. Um, so again, it's more how you integrate DM into the overall overarching campaign, the omni-channel experience. And that's one thing, again, you'd say. So it's making sure, for me, that you, you've got that kind of relevance across all different touch points with your brand. I think the key, key to a, an ABM campaign, and again, I've seen companies do it wrong, mm -hmm. is... And I think sometimes as, as agencies, what clients don't see us doing when we're looking at ABM campaign for our clients is the research and insights, how much work actually goes into that research and insights. Well, it's a damn sight more than just scraping an email address off an online platform, which I think a lot of people think that's what it involves. But in terms of tapping into the, the deep-rooted interest and, and gathering genuine research and in, insights that will enable you to send somebody maybe a, a really nice dm but it's really personal to them and it's a thing that will really make you stand out from the crowd it will just banging in and it might, not necessarily, might not necessarily be work related though it might be just something that you know that they're interested you're in trying to get their, you're trying to get their attention and trying to get on their radar so it could be a really you know we, we do it we do it a lot but in terms of really nice personalized tailored stuff but that involves quite a deep dive exercise to look into what's their online profile like what do they like what kind of content do they share what things do they comment on What's, are there any key themes coming out of either their Facebook profile, their Twitter profile? You know, and this can take, this isn't a two minute job per person. This is a, you know, it's a big deep dive. And this is, again, when it comes back to if you're doing a one to one approach because you know who the key influencer is you're trying to get in front of, mm. that's great. I think where we're seeing clients struggling with ABM, most people get the theory, most people understand let's do laser targeted sales. But on a global scale, so for most of our clients that are that are, that are operating on a global basis with multi-divisional businesses, with um, sales and marketing functions arguably spread on that global scale, how how do they physically align it? And I think they're also struggling with how do they integrate that into their tech stack then. Yeah, and my, and my advice on that would be, again, it's all about research and insights. I know obviously a lot of our clients are, are global and I think we have to be aware that Again, when we're looking at ABM, came is it one to one to few, one to many, or, or is it one on one? And it has to be country department. I mean, there's all things that go into the research, isn't it? Yeah. What department is it? Different, you know, R and D, for example, research and development in a yeah. particular business yeah. don't react to the same way as marketing do. And we have to take all those things into consideration. Yeah. How we speak to different countries, like yeah. if we're marketing to China, we know it's absolutely, yeah. totally left field in terms of. And even when we went to Dubai recently, yeah. um, how they communicate and talk to their prospective clients is again is a different how we do it in this country but i think the, the big thing for me is with this with the abm campaigns you you, you could but for larger organizations you could very very easily end up in the situation of kind of analysis paralysis so in the sense of you end up doing nothing on abm yeah because you think it's too difficult and it's too big a task and there's how on earth do you do this but that's where more test and learn campaigns can come into play where you can... Do you want to just talk about test and learn? Yeah, so test and learn, I mean, as, as the name suggests, is, is an option that you could incorporate into an ABM campaign. So rather than devising, let's say, a 
one-to-many campaign that you're going to roll out across all your top 100 businesses you want to work with. Because you know you can do the you can do the biggest mass marketing campaigns you want in the world, but realistically, if I could say to most of our clients or most of the people listening to this that you could op- you could potentially open up 20 of your top 100 through an ABM campaign, would they want to do that? Absolutely, Cause particularly with the size of the businesses that we're deal with dealing with, their average order value is so huge, and um, that by converting even one, even maybe one in their top 100 target, that might be their, their kind of new business or return on the investment that they're required to get from their marketing spend. But the test and learn kind of things is kind of rolling it out to an isolated group. So you might devise some tactics with kind of A-B tests and some campaign variables in there, which could be the audience, maybe, who you're targeting, the job role. It could be the type of content. So maybe one you do a DM with, one you're doing some more digital marketing techniques and so Depends on. Depends out again whether they're an influencer or the decision yeah, maker. Depends on their dis- persona, how, how, how influential they are in the decision making process. Um, other ca- campaign variables could be um, geography. Maybe you're trying different um, geographical locations in terms of where you're sending your campaign out to. But you're doing it on a smaller scale, so you might do this with maybe one one company within the, the, the 20, let's just say for this sake, that you're trying to get in contact with. So it's worth stressing here that ABM is more geared towards high-value B2B targets, so these are, this isn't the lower end uh, of the market and lower-value stuff. Yeah. Um, but in that test and learn campaign, you, you'd carry out the initial campaign over an agreed period, perhaps a month, two months. But then you're looking really at looking at the results of that and optimizing it. So which piece of content worked best? What method or what strategy or what channel worked best? Um, was there a difference between the different geographical locations? And then you can tailor and optimize that campaign before you go into a full what I would call ABM campaign. So I think what I'm seeing in the market a lot of the minute that a lot of agencies or consultancies will spend your budget with ease and they will devise you this mass market ABM campaign but without that test and learn initiative, you, you've not even you've not got to the level of optimization. So the results you'll get will be good potentially, but they certainly won't be the best that you could achieve. Yeah, it's it's no different. What I would relate to some people is when you are writing Facebook ads or Instagram ads, you write two or three different ones and mm-hmm. see which one performs the best. It's no different with ABM. It, it's exactly the same. You send three out, one absolutely rockets, the other two are, are, are poor. Can, Poor conversion because of a particular reason. You dump the two and you go with the one for the rest of the uh, the rest of the budget. It's like con- it's controlled or strategic failure. It's what mm. I think. What I keep referring to it as. But in the sense of you, you, you know, elements of the test and learn campaign are going to fail as you enter into it. But this is the test and learn aspect of it is what will enable people to start a process. Because I say, if you sit, if you sat there at the minute thinking, how on earth do I start an ABM campaign? Well, I think a lot. Of, I, I for me, I think that's where a lot of people are. Where do I start? I mean, the the, the two businesses, the three businesses that we um, are currently doing ABM for, was exactly that. Where do I start? But they also, so where, start, but they where, also start with too big a pool. That's yeah. what I'm finding. So they'll go, here's our here's our database of. 10,000 customers, mm. that, isn't, that isn't an ABM campaign. You're not doing an ABM campaign to 10,000. So who, who are those 10,000 are your top high-value prospects? And the only way marketing can do that is to sit down with sales. And I appreciate, again, if you're a global business, sitting down with sales might not be as simple as that. But you've got to get the two functions speaking mm. in a dialogue, working cohesively to, um, to K- aligned KPIs. So K- you know, the KPIs need to be new business wins, don't they, or appointments or demos or whatever it yeah, should be. Yeah, but why be. the market, I, mean, I saw a, a company the other day judge everything on impressions and I was like... We come across that quite a lot, but that's, and that's fine, but 
you're going to find yourself in the situation where marketing can have the best year they've ever had because they've generated X number of imp- a record number of impressions, but it's had no impact on sales. So I'm not saying there isn't a, there's not a place for impressions. Clearly, yeah, there, there is. is in terms of generating awareness, bringing people into that funnel um, at the top of the sales funnel. But in the sense of you, you can't you can't have that as the sole KPI for marketing. Like what? It doesn't work. I say marketing can have the best year ever with no impact on sales. And conversely, sales could have the best year they've ever had and they don't place any reliance on the fact that marketing have generated X number of impressions because yeah. unless you can flow that activity from impression to purchase, which I don't think many businesses could, even with the most sophisticated tech stacks these days, and the fact that the sales journey is so non-linear, omni-channel, at any point they might want to get get in contact with you, then... It's becoming harder and harder to justify. So getting sales and marketing working together on aligned KPIs, which ultimately needs to be, it might be demos, meetings, new business wins, ultimately that, that, that for me would be it, um, it is, is the starting point. And the test and learn campaign is what would, what would qualify that it's working. Yeah. You know, if you can get genuine engagement rather than just clicks or likes or, but you know, you can get in a dialogue with somebody about your new product. Which, I mean, I know we, we deal with quite big global businesses, but to the average, I think what I always shocks me about the average business owner mm-hmm. um, is if I say, can you give me top 10, top, people can't tell me even the top 10. Even some of the global businesses that don't know their top 10, top 50 targets. But it's because they don't think on that basis, so they don't go granular enough when they're doing the business planning. So, you know, I'm like a good business planning, but I do it on the ground. I know exactly who I want to work with next year. I know exactly how we're going to try, try to open them up. I know exactly the approach we're going to try and get into these individuals. I think when you get into the larger corporates, and you, you get it at the smaller end as well, but I would encourage everybody to literally think about, right, if, if, what, does, what does success look like next year? Which businesses do I want to be working with? Do I want to be selling to that I'm not already selling to? And don't get me wrong, there's an argument to kind of, you know, the land and expand argument. New business is great. Expanding existing accounts is equally as, can be equally as uh, yeah, because they fruitful. So uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting point and one that, I think that many people miss is once you've landed an account, you can still ABM that account globally. Yeah, we I mean, ABM in the organic growth side of it. So that should be the eat your easiest wins ever. Yeah, I hate the phrase low hanging fruit, but it is. But it is the low hanging fruit in the sense of that if you're already selling to them, you've already got a relationship with them, and you've got multiple lines of service or products or whatever it may be, then they're the easiest people to get into and educate around what else you could do for them, what other value you could add and what else you could bring to the table. But that doesn't stop you ABMing them. If they're already selling to them, you should know what they buy from you, when they buy from you. And that's the other challenge I would, I would encourage people to think about is how much do you know about your customers? Do you know their buying cycle? Do you know when things are up for replacement? And do you know their plans about growth and expansion and where your product and services could sit in with it? And that's a form of ABM as well. So rather than it just being a method, ABM. It goes back to research, getting on your research, own Research, but, but it's knowing your clients and knowing your customers and knowing your prospects. Because as, as you said, I don't think many people know a great deal. Well, I, think, well, I think when, when people land a client, it's it's that hallelujah moment. Yeah. Oh my God, I've, I've won this client. Um, and they almost then, they don't take the foot off the gas in delivering the project that we're delivering, but they take the foot off the gas in then trying to grow that account. And it's almost then, because what I always yeah. see is it, it goes from sales then to, to an account manager who's not a sales per, salesperson anyway. Yeah. Some are, we've got some really good ones in here. But again, from an agency's point of view, it's how many of your 
account managers are targeted on growth of existing, existing you know clients? We, you know we do here. So we, yeah. we have growth targets and organic growth targets and stretch targets across all our accounts in the sense of trying to upsell, but ultimately help our clients more with, mm. with what we can offer them. But I do think, again, the, the bulk of businesses that I've worked with and come across get distracted by the sexiness and glamour of winning new business and chasing those new things. And as you say, ringing that bell when we've won a new account, oh, that's amazing. And then a key client that's spending you know, a large share of their wallet with you already isn't getting that kind of golden service. So mm. I think that was BDB many moons ago was certainly guilty of that, that we were, um, you know, so that's a long time ago now, but we're chasing the dream of the new client all the time. And we were shaping service offerings, initiatives, and certainly our own marketing plans around winning new clients, not educating our existing clients about our products and services, trying to help them, yeah. help our clients. And we've done a lot better in the last year, two years on that, haven't we? And have really... You've, you've got to, otherwise, because somebody else will be. So your, your key client is somebody else's new business target. So if somebody else is rolling the red carpet out for them all the time, and you're not... And that's what ABM is, essentially. Yeah, but it is. But it's, if somebody else is tailoring your client tailoring their journeys and their content along for what they like and, you, and you're there just banging out your generic newsletter to them, tr trust me, you, you, you're going to lose that client at some point. <laughs> so I think that, and I think this is a really, really poignant point actually on, on ABM. ABM is just part of the bigger bigger marketing mix, but I do, I would encourage any large, small, medium, super large, mm -hmm. global mm -hmm. business to really, really consider ABM as a way, because I think the reason why companies are scared is because it is a very, very focused approach, and sometimes that leaves you. You need to be a bit braver with it. Well, it's much, it's much easier to be held accountable to it, because at the end of the day, we're saying it's zero waste marketing. So your marketing will either have worked or it hasn't, and you can you can qualify that and quantify that quite easily. Yeah, there's nowhere to hide, is there? There's no there's no grey area where there is with kind of a mass marketing campaign or you know. Uh, even like going back to what you said about impressions as an example as a KPI, that you can, you know, well, our job was to create impressions, that's what we've done, you know, we're not responsible for sales. What you're talking about here is, no, 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 you are. You are intrinsically involved in this process of trying to generate more sales for this business, grow the market share or launch new products or services. So whether you call it ABM or not, what, what I would say is more knowing more about your customers yeah. and prospects and tailoring your marketing and sales efforts towards those individuals. So I just want to talk about tech stacks yeah because we, we we kind of touched on it before in the in the podcast and we have mentioned it quite a few times and it, it's, it's such a big subject we could go on about tech stacks all day but because mm -hmm. it is so prevalent to a to abm and abm being successful in terms of tracking i wasn't here when you when you started to build your tech stack but i know obviously noticed that the most strategic thing you did was build it around your, your buyer's journey or your customer experience or your sales process yeah I think for for us we we what do you call it even tech stacks are fad and the phrase yeah. isn't it I mean, all, all these things make me laugh but in the sense of the, the tech stack itself is ultimately using technology based solutions to fix pain points already with pain points in businesses that's what I'd say let's call it a tech stack for the sake of it because that's what seems what everybody else is calling it in the marketplace for the meantime the t the tech stack for me is a dangerous process if you're not careful oh, really dangerous because. You know, we've, we've got slides and various things on it, but you know, I think the Martech landscape's got over 5,000 individual products now to assist you at various points in the buyer's journey, let's say. And you know, the people that are selling these tech stacks, there's an awful lot of kind of 
you know, obviously the producers of them, and then there's a lot of resellers of them now who are yeah. trying to make money just purely off reselling somebody else's product. And for me personally, it's easier to get glamoured by these things um, and salesmen that come in and will tell you it's going to solve all your problems. But where we find clients with particularly unwieldy or poorly thought out tech stacks is where they've done ad hoc additions to it. So I don't know, product A will fix problem one, product B will fix problem two, but how they kind of integrate together, knit together, and also are there products out there that can address more than one of these pain people points? Think, <laughs> people think just the CRM solves all that, and it, like Pipedrive or, I mean, Salesforce is a massive but tool. Coming, but coming full circle, and we'll come back into the tech stack in a minute, data's everything. Yeah. So if you've got if you've got poor data, and I'm choosing my words carefully rather than swearing for once, but if you've got poor data, you put rubbish in, you're going to get rubbish out. Yeah. So, and that is when a lot of our clients are still at. Even if they've been through a process of cleansing their data, how good is your data? What is the quality of that data? And if it's if it's not of a robust quality where you can have confidence, you, that's the starting point. So before you dive into ABM, before you start diving into research and insights and finding out all about your customers and prospects, is your data right? Are your customers your customers? Are your prospects your prospects? Are they current? Are they up to date? Are the addresses right? So, so like but someone it, told me that data is now um, yeah. more valuable than oil and gas, and it, and it is. But, but it is because I think particularly if you've got people who you 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 can legitimately contact with all the legislation and people the, the issues you've got these days, you know, it's an opt-in culture. So if you've got people that you can market to, make sure the information's right. And you know, how how many of you out there send out a uh, a digital marketing campaign to your database, and how many bounce backs do you get? Yeah. And that's arguably now, arguably now, with the strength of opt-in, mm-hmm. you know, I always say it's really if you get a subscriber on YouTube, they are worth their weight in gold. Absolutely. If you get a subscriber to a podcast, if you get someone who absolutely opts into your your WhatsApp newsletters or whatever it is, those are so valuable those customers because one, they've said, I definitely want more information on those things. Yeah. So. You know, open rates, conversions should be better than they've ever had been before. Yeah. If you are, if you've got the. But I also right. think on stuff that we've said before, in the sense of, if it's great that they opt in, clearly that they're, they're choosing, they're choosing to engage with you, but then equally importantly, it's it's not necessarily them. So sometimes you'll find, oh, you think, oh, they're, well, they're, they're not somebody I really want to sell to. But it's who do they know, who do they influence, who do they speak to, who's in their network mm-hmm. of who they can ultimately open up to you. And you might find they're two or three touch points away from your absolute key customer that, you, that you're trying to sell into. So I think when you think about people opting in on YouTube and following you on various social media platforms, quite often they not, might not be your perfect customer, but think about the wider reach of what where you can get things out to. But data is everything, going full circle back to what we were saying there. So data is everything. If your data is poor, you've got some work to do there. And that's a cumbersome exercise yeah, and, but, the, but there is, the, uh, what I would say is, let's don't, don't let data stop you because there is ways of buying data in, buying information. You know, there's a lot of big companies out there making big, big money off data. So it's not a, you know, if your data, uh, your data set isn't great, it's one, get it cleaned up first and foremost well, but there's a lot of companies out there who will analyze your data and that's an probably argument, where we would start there's also an argument that, and this is brave but you know and i'm not saying this would work for everybody but start from scratch yeah like, build your data again because there'll be an element of your data that's good yeah. hopefully you'd hope so yeah but it's just be honest with yourself be honest don't don't yeah, leave be, stuff in there that if you don't know if the guy's still in the job i or, think when i when i when i first joined bdb to put it in contact we had twelve thousand contacts on the crm system we had here we had like 30 customers 
I, I laughed when I turned up. Like, who, who are these twelve thousand people yeah. we know apparently? Because they should be paying us money. Yeah. yeah. So we so we we cleansed all our data now, and I think we've got kind of five hundred, but but high quality, high value, um, customers, prospects, contacts. You know, and it's growing, but it's growing with the right data. So we yeah. we we virtually reset the, the whole system. But without that, a tech stack isn't going to work, and you're setting yourself up for failure from the start. Because again, you're marketing to people who are irrelevant, left, moved on. And when you're trying to create that personalized touch, that personalized journey and make that person feel special, emailing them at the wrong address or using the wrong name or the wrong surname because they've been married or whatever it could be, immediately detracts from your efforts trying to make it just, oh, you have to mass marketing. Well, that's why a lot of businesses now have CRM managers and and, 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 and rightly so, by the way. It's a big job. But again, if, you, if, you, if you're questioning the quality of your data, then think about the test and learn approach we were discussing earlier because you could cleanse one company in there, one division in there. You could do whatever you needed to do. But again, don't don't be paralyzed by the data, like you say, and, and stop it. You do doing something. For me, if you could cleanse There's always a, solution. a proportion of your data and do a test and learn campaign on that while you're cleansing the rest of your data, the thing what you don't want to be doing is, is, is being paralyzed by it and ending up doing nothing and making no progress whatsoever. Yeah, I agree. So to wrap up today, um, it's been a good podcast, really informative for everyone, hopefully. Um, as we always end all mm-hmm. our podcasts, what would your one slash two tips, if you want to usually squeeze in two, don't you? I always like to yeah, just try and get a few more in. Not to, really, to, start, to start an ABM campaign. To start, well, first of all, it's not a fad, is what I would say. I think it's it's been around for a long time, but it's certainly something that's going to come more and more to the forefront with the use of technology, uh, the modern B2B buyer, people demanding more ROI. Um, and I think in the sense of the top tip for starting would be data. So as we've just said there, get the data right, get that cleansed as much as you can. And then I would say you've got to start somewhere. So segmenting those audience groups and starting off with a test and learn campaign. And I think be wary, of, probably three now, sorry, but be wary of anybody that's trying to spend your marketing budget on ABM in one fail swoop. Yeah. Um, my, that, that isn't, that's my, not good. my first advice, even before data, before all that is... You know, Matt mentioned it before, is sitting down with your sales t- sales force, or if your sales force is just yourself and your other directors, it's like everyone who's involved in a sales, the sales function, um, even though that their job title might not be sales, so sales and marketing function, you just need to have a planning campaign of who are your top targets, whether they're 10, 50. If there is a 1,000, like Matt said before, right, let's just go after 10. You know, let's you start small, start on the, the test and learn campaigns. That would be my biggest advice. Before you do anything around data or anything like that, that kind of workshop with your team of who we want to target this year will be invaluable. Yeah. Okie doke. Thanks, everybody. And uh, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please subscribe if you can, which means you'll get notifications every week when we launch a new podcast. Um, and please leave any reviews, comments, and what you'd like us to cover in future podcasts. Feedback is a blessing, so uh, please give us bye from me. Bye from me. Thanks very much. Cheers.